Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. How are you? Doing great. How are you? Uh, much better than last time. Excellent. Yes, you were getting a cold last time, and then yes. you disappeared from podcasting for a while. Yeah. And now you're back, and I you s- sound better. You, you <laughs> sound. For like you a sound week. better. Yeah, you sound better. I um, that it's good. I'm, I'm yeah. glad because then you you sounded a lot worse, and and now it's better. You know, now you're better. Now it's That's better. How colds work? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, we did. Other than one thing that didn't go well, which I'll put in the uh, in the show itself. I'll explain that later, um, where we got very excited about something that we didn't get to do. But um, but otherwise, yes. How about you? Uh, yeah, it was good. I had pumpkin pie for breakfast for like four days in a row. So it's hard to complain about that. <laughs> good job. I'm glad you found a pumpkin pie that you can eat. Yes. I mean, if you just take enough ingredients out of it. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> So you ate a pumpkin? You just gnawed on a pumpkin yes. in the morning? Uh-huh. Is that what you're saying? And yeah. you call it pumpkin pie? Yeah. No, it was really good. Um, so yeah, good the, Thanksgiving. The shell of the pumpkin is my crust. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that'd be so sad. Uh-huh. The inside of pumpkins are kind of gross. Anyways, this, what are we yeah, talking about? Gross. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving space. happened. It's almost mm-hmm. December. Uh-huh. And space is busy. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, let me take you through some prefect uh, stuff. Preflight checklist. That's our uh, acronym, uh, prefect. Uh, and let's start with a delayed spacewalk. We're recording this on November 30th, and there was to be a spacewalk today to replace a uh, an antenna on the International Space Station um, that failed. But they called it off the last minute due to a debris warning caused by all of the debris from that Russian anti-satellite weapons test that we talked about last time. So again, one of those things where it's like, you know, they don't love it when the debris is coming by, but they really don't love it when there are astronauts outside and the debris is coming by because that's super dangerous. So they they said, let's stay inside. How about that? Let's stay inside. Yeah. And we talked about this. This is a problem that's not going to go away anytime soon. No. Replacing this antenna, like it'd be nice to get done. My understanding is it's not like a super high critical item, but if there was something like really serious on the outside of the station that needed to be fixed today, uh, this would be a problem. So this is why you shouldn't blow your own satellites up in orbit. Yeah, that's a good lesson. I've learned my lesson. I, I'm not going to do it. Don't do it, Jason. I told you not to do it. Well, Stop. I, I loaded the uh, anti-satellite weapon into the straw and 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 blew on it really hard to mm. set that thing up into space, but it didn't it just didn't go. Yeah. So I'm 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 going to stop work on that though. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Anymore. I have a I have a, an incident to report on as oh, well. No. Uh, this is our friend the uh, the uh, space telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, which we've been waiting anxiously to launch. And I know uh-huh. we say on this show that by the end of the year means next year, but they're still we're dangerously in the end of the year now. Uh, they're still preparing to launch it for December, but they had an incident on November 22nd. Or no, they announced it on November 22nd. They have it on the 9th, and they they were very quiet for a while about mm-hmm. this incident. They didn't discuss it. And apparently, technicians were preparing to attach uh, the Webb Space Telescope to the launch vehicle adapter, which is used to integrate the whole thing with the upper stage of the Ariane 5 rocket. And uh, they dropped it. Kind of. Uh, Not quite, but it was a sudden unplanned release, you never like that, Mm. of a clamp band, which is one of these clamps that secures web to the launch vehicle adapter. It released, whoops, 
And although it, it I, and I think it dropped like an inch or something, but the point is it gave it a nice shake that caused a vibration throughout the observatory. It, 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 it dropped. It, it was like a thump mm. kind of thing and it didn't hit, but it like slid suddenly. So that's a vibration. It, they shook that can of soda up. <laughs> like, mm. uh, so, uh, so a few things here. First off, NASA um, was quick to point out that this is Ariane space fault space's fault it's like there it's, it's right there in the press release hey their technicians did this not us <laughs> yeah they 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 screwed this up uh then they took some days to test the hardware made sure that no damage had been done they say it looks fine uh it, it, although key quote from thomas zerbrook and the uh associate administrator for science at nasa uh of course when you work on a 10 billion dollar telescope conservatism is the order of the day when i saw these headlines my heart just sank you know, because it was like incident reported, you know, like my RSS reader. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> what did they do? What did you do to what the billions, $10 billion telescope? Yeah. It wasn't always a $10 billion telescope, to be fair. But uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like everything's okay. And launch is, I guess, is still on. No earlier than December 22nd. Yeah, it slid a little bit. A couple days, I think. But now it is no earlier than December 22nd. Of course, it's from French Guiana. Uh, I was looking at some uh, reports. Like, COVID complicates everything even further, but I was looking at some reports from science journalists who also say that one of the problems with covering something like this, in addition to the fact that now it's going to be over the holidays, is that it's very hard to get to French Guiana. And in fact, right now, I believe the only way to get to French Guiana is to fly to France. And then there's a flight from France to French Guiana. Hmm. So nothing like living in the United States and being a space journalist and having to fly to France in order to fly to French Guiana, which is in on the Caribbean coast in South America. So, But it's hard to get to. So uh, that'll be fun. But uh, still on, we're not going to go is what I'm saying. No. I thought about a little road trip to French <laughs> Guiana, maybe fly into Suriname, get a boat across the river. Yeah. We can find a guy with like a kayak. We can do it. Yeah, but uh, probably not. We're probably not going to do that. Instead, mm -hmm. uh, we'll just stay at home and hope that this goes well in late December. So uh, we'll keep our eye on that and uh, and we'll report back, uh, I guess, early next year about what happened with uh, James Webb. And of course, the launch is not the end of the, of the terror, right? Mm -mm. Like the terror extends for months because after it launches, it has to go all the way out to the Lagrange point and it has to unfold all of its little parts in order to be a big old telescope because it's got to fit in the little tiny, you know, there's two ways to get big things into space. As we've talked about, one is you inflate them when they get into space. <laughs> the other other way to do it is you fold it up and then you unfold it. And that's what uh, the Webb telescope has to do is do a lot of unfolding. And it's going to be so far away that there's going to be none of this Hubble business where we, we go, ooh, it's a little broken. We'll send the shuttle to fix it because there's no shuttle and it's not in low Earth orbit. So uh, everybody's going to be crossing their fingers for a while after this thing gets launched. But, you know, step one is actually get it launched so we're getting close but we're not there yet gs light in the chat said it has to cast its web that's very good oh, that's good i don't think so i don't think that is good i think that's bad i think it's very bad <laughs> i'm so nervous about this launch yeah uh, i think everyone watching this is gonna be white knuckled <laughs> the whole time and then you don't get to feel relief that's the thing it's right. like oh they made it now we begin the three months of terror of it unfolding and 
but you know you gotta you gotta check off the boxes you can't go to the rest of this without getting that first one out and uh there's no 10 billion dollar like duplicate waiting in the wings for this thing if it, if, if it goes badly it's that's it it's done i hope they have insurance i'm sure they do uh so that's james webb yeah. Space yep. Telescope. But there's a mission that just launched. Yes, speaking of launches. The plan is for it to crash into something. Tell us about DART. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last time because I was very excited that I was going to go to see it. Uh, and I just wanted to report in that it, it did launch November 23rd from Vandenberg, which is uh, in Santa Barbara, basically, in California. Um, unfortunately for me... I was very excited. I have had this on the calendar for months now, this DART launch, because I was going to be in Southern California the night of the launch. I had it on my calendar all that time. We went out at 10 at night, and we got a good vantage point, and there were clouds, and as we stood there, there were more clouds, and there were more clouds, and I'll just say the only view of the whole launch that we got was looking at my iPhone at the SpaceX stream, because we could not at Mm. any point get a view of the dart launch there were people inland and in other parts of southern california and other parts of the west coast who did see it but i was kind of bummed out by that uh that we didn't get a chance to see it even though we were down there in the you know south of (laughs) of vandenberg so we would have really seen it for a long time and it would have been a beautiful view if it had been clear night and the other shame of it is there most of the time we were down there there was this offshore flow that blows all that coastal fog away but not that night that night it was foggy so rats anyway dart is now on its way to a little mini asteroid that is uh around a bigger asteroid and they are measuring it uh as it currently is observed and how it rotates and how it moves around orbits its uh its companion and then dart is going to get there and at the last moment before it hits it's going to eject a cubesat that's going to take some observations as the rest of DART smacks into that little companion asteroid-lit thing. Mm-hmm. And then they measure, did it do anything? Like, did that impact change the uh, the trajectory, the orbit of the, uh, of the asteroid? Because although we can theoretically smash an asteroid and divert it, we don't actually know if that works and what the issues are. So uh, there, there will be... A, cloud of dust <laughs> and a uh, big smash and then the question is we'll know how much you know mass dart has how did it impact literally the uh, little mini asteroid and we, and and so it's our first sort of asteroid defense test in space i love this use for a cubesat that we'll get to to basically we're destroying our spacecraft so what how do we observe the destruction it's like we're going to eject a little buddy who's going to take the pictures it's like a dash cam for a <laughs> for a space <laughs> like a space probe right it's like just in case there's a crash well it's like okay uh let's let's eject that thing it's like a gopro back there and then it's going to measure the uh the destruction so that's pretty cool good, good use of a of a uh CubeSat for sure. It's going to be cool. And one way they're going to uh, measure its impact is a, a similar method that we use to look at exoplanets, looking at it transiting. So the light changes right. as a smaller object orbits a larger object. And this impact should change the timing of that transit. So we'll be able to see exactly right. what sort of impact it made, which is which is cool. I like I like the tie-in to that, that method that we've seen other places. Yeah, absolutely. 
So that is, uh, that, that's my pre-flight checklist. We spoke recently about the future of the International Space Station and mm-hmm. how there are uh, several potential commercial uh, plans, I guess, for sort of post-ISS work in low Earth orbit. And we kind of said at the time that, you know, we haven't seen much in terms of what NASA says about this. And as soon as I said that, uh, I, <laughs> I, I guess this was already in the works. We can claim credit, I guess. Sure. It's us. We did it. Thanks, everybody. The NASA Office of Inspectoral General... Office of Audits, has a new report out Mm -hmm. looking at the future of the International Space Station and what happens after it's gone. Uh, It's a big PDF. There's a link in the show notes. It's really easy to go through. Uh, I read the whole thing in about 20 minutes, I think. And it starts with kind of where the International Space Station is now. So, Its original decommissioning date was 2015. It was designed with a life expectancy of 15 years, but it had a safety factor of two, which if you do that math, gets us up to 2028. And so this this 2030 date uh, that we're talking about is not official yet. Currently, Congress has called for the station's retirement in 2024, but it's widely expected that extension will happen. Uh, it's about $3 billion a year to run the International Space Station. That has been creeping up as the station has aged. And that's really the heart of this report, looking at uh, the the hardware at the, at the station and how some of it is, is basically breaking down sooner than it should be. Uh, there's a lot of ink in this PDF about the service module transfer tunnel, and it's on one end of the of the station, and it has a series of cracks and leaks. One was found, I think we talked about it last year, and it was sealed, but the International, the International Space Station is still slowly losing pressure over time. Uh, so there, there's still more leaks to be found, and there's, there's really a lot of focus on this component. This component, which should not have these stress fractures in it. Uh, even given the things that have happened over the last year with the the whole, uh, you know, let's call it un- unintended acceleration <laughs> from Russian <laughs> hardware. Some spins, did some spins. Some, some rotations, spins. Yeah. Uh, this service module transfer tunnel is still well within what it's designed to be. And so there, there's a lot of conversation in this document about before NASA or Congress decides on this 2030 date, like we have to understand what's happening in this module. Because if this module has a sudden failure, uh, obviously that's extremely problematic. But if it turns out there's some fundamental flaw in how it's designed, we need to make sure that that fundamental flaw isn't elsewhere in the station. And so they really recommend that any mitigation that needs to take place take place before extending the date to 2024 Hmm. or past 2024 right and this is i mean there's some there's some reality here that i think is a challenge for people who are in um the government right which is like well if we do nothing we can just kick the can down the road and here it's like we can't kick the can down the road uh if if th- one of these things fails, 
that's it, right? Like a failure, you can't just pretend and go, well, no, it'll be fine. It's like, no, it won't be fine. Yeah, exactly. And it, it really, um, really the 2024 date, skipping ahead a little time, like whatever the deadline is, you really have to back up two to three years to start the deorbiting right. process. And so really, if it's 2024, we're already behind the ball. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So talking a lot about these cracks, this leaking situation they're having going on. And so you have that on one side. You have parts of the International Space Station are aging potentially more quickly than planned. Uh, even if that's not the case, it was only ever designed to be operational for another six years where past where we are now. Either way, like you said, there that deadline is coming, right? The end of life is coming. So that's one side of the coin. Uh, the other side of the coin that this document talks about is this spin-up of commercial access in low-Earth orbit. And it talks a lot about things that have already gone on. It mentions Axiom and those other plans that we went through a few episodes ago. But this document lays out that there is going uh, to probably be a gap in low-Earth orbit access to like ongoing science, ongoing habitation. That, yes, we have commercial crew. Yes, we have the Soyuz. Uh, we can get to low-Earth orbit. But this, what this document lays out is foreshadowing of there's going to be no destination. There's going to be no place to go because the International Space Station will be retired and deorbited. And whatever replaces it, commercial, joint commercial, NASA, whatever, whatever wins out mm -hmm. is not going to be there in time, especially if we're looking at 2024. But even if we're looking at 2030, right. they don't think it's going to be... Um, really but, up and running but steven the press releases the press know, releases they had they had graphics and everything you just launch it and blow it up with air and it's inflated but uh even if those things are there it's not going to have the same capacity the international space station has sure. for science and research and what i found maybe the most interesting in all of this because i think none of this is super surprising yet what i hadn't really considered was what that means for artemis and for eventually going to Mars, where NASA is dependent currently on the International Space Station to, to, to be a testing ground and a proving ground for technologies that will be used on longer-term spaceflight. And so this document is saying, the space station is aging, we're not going to be ready to replace it, and because of that, Artemis, and let's call it Journey to Mars, no one's ever called it that before, um, uh, sorry, Obama administration, uh, that those things are also in jeopardy because of this problem. So the, the, it's almost as if the space station's current state is the first domino and this document sees multiple dominoes falling after it. Just sobering. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, um, it's hard to, I mean, you could argue that you could do some, uh, I don't know. I mean, you could, you might be able to scrap something together, scrape something together with uh, other pieces of the puzzle. Um, Lunar Gateway, although there's not much there, could be perceived as a a place where you could do some amount of long duration spaceflight research. But lunar, when's Lunar Gateway going to be there? Right. Plus, you've got the two um, announced 
commercial space stations uh, and when are they going to be there? And so, yeah, you're looking at a gap. Like, let's say the ISS is officially shut down in 28. If those things aren't ready yet, you are going to end up in a in a situation where you can send people into space and maybe even send them into lunar orbit. But what you're not going to be able to do is have a place where people can stay for uh, six months or a year in orbit because mm-hmm. that place will be gone. Right. Uh, if you're the U.S., if you're if you're NASA, if you're <laughs> China, you will have a space station uh, because they're working on that. But there would be. A different kind of gap. We will have gotten all of these commercial crew spacecraft up and running, and they'll have nowhere to go. There's some irony in that, right? Because mm-hmm. there's this gap after the shuttle that really just closed last year, you know, in the, yeah. in the last year or so. Now that's up and running, at least partially. I mean, uh, pray for the Starliner team, I guess. But now that it's like up and running, like now what? I think, I mean, I get... With those press releases, and we can we can laugh about them, but with those press releases, you start to see, I'll like, oh, okay, um, we've got the commercial crew. You're going to have commercial space stations. You put um, international docking adapters on the commercial space stations, and you've got uh, a couple of destinations where you can send these crew vehicles, and that's great. But the question is, do you spend five years waiting around for those to come on on orbit? After you decommission the ISS, I also, you know, I keep thinking is about about the waste of this, which is like, are there pieces of the ISS that could be sort of like grappled and taken yeah. somewhere else? But a lot of them are so old at this point that they really shouldn't be reused. I don't know. Maybe the international docking adapters are a good example where they could come up with sort of some plan where they they ferry those to another location. But again, if you have no place to put them. And you have to decommission the ISS, then you have no place to put them. You can't just pack them up and 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 bring them back to Earth. There's no shuttle bay to put them in. Yeah, it's it's a it's a complicated problem. They need like a storage and shed in space. Like, can they go. launch like a storage shed, and then just like push them in there and be like, uh-huh. "This is," and then put a padlock on it and say, just "Wait, I'll be back. Stay here. Yeah, out for lunch. Yeah, it's not gonna happen." Yeah, and and the the paper doesn't really go into much about you know could we could we use certain components in the future, but it does talk about the complexity of deorbiting the station. Again, if it's under like full control, it's not an emergency situation. You're looking at three years to do so, but if it's an emergency situ- situation, they can bring it down faster. But they talk about all the things that we spoke about where you have to be very, very particular about where it's going to come down because these components are so big and so heavy, things will survive to the surface, right? It's not like burning up a, a Cygnus that's full of space station garbage is going to burn up miles and miles and miles <laughs> up well before it's in danger, endangering anybody on the ground. That's not the case here. And yeah, you so, got to take you got to take it apart. Yeah. And deorbit the parts so that they don't litter the ground, right? This is the thing about like giving um China a hard time for having their 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 spent uh, stages uh, re-entering kind of randomly 
Like you want to be able to control it. And if you can control it, you can control the pieces and have them burn up and be no no hazard. Mm-hmm. But if the entire ISS just was abandoned, that would be an enormous amount of material re-entering at once and could be a huge hazard. Yeah, and it, they don't even really talk about like how it would be broken apart. I mean, their graphic shows it coming down as one, but there's also this this statement in here of like, this requires complex planning, and and basically none of that has really started happening in great detail. So I imagine the people working on that, but it's it's pretty wild to to consider. And they are going to start in 2022 using uh, the Cygnus cargo resupply spacecraft to boost the station instead of using the propellant that's stored on the station itself. So they have as much of that as possible when time comes to try to control it best they can re-entering. We'll put a link in the show notes to a video that um, Scott Manley actually posted on YouTube about two weeks ago yes. called How to Deorbit the International Space Station Safely. A link sent in by uh, our listener, David. Uh, and so that, that you, can, you can check that out if you want to imagine more uh, how you take a big thing and drop it back onto the earth without killing everybody. <laughs> Because, you know, not everybody, but like people in the way. So, uh, but this is, this is the story. Like, it's funny. You and I started this podcast long enough ago that I feel like we are now kind of bridging different eras and, and that we have to think in terms, because it's space, in terms of long periods of time, because all of these things happen so slowly over a long period of time. But we definitely, this last year six months have started to talk about the end of the iss and that's going to just keep creeping closer and closer something that was sort of unthinkable when we were in the midst of it's like oh well we have the iss now we're in space we're going to be there all the time and there have been continuously you know people in the international space station since 2000 so like we're used to it but uh it's going to end and there may not be a replacement from nasa's perspective when that happens and and that's something we'll just keep we'll just keep talking about every two weeks, I guess. <sighs> well, there's there's one more thing we want to touch on. Okay, it's a it's a recurring part of the show. <gasps> oh, is it? It is. It, Stephen, is it is it the space launch system segment explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering achievements, news and trivia? Because I love that segment. It is that segment. Good job. <sighs> SLS segment. Couple things to talk about. Uh, thing number one, the SLS mobile launcher. So, mm-hmm. uh, people may remember that the SLS program is going to have two mobile launch platforms. The one that the Artemis one rocket is sitting on as we speak in the vehicle assembly building is ML one. It is mostly like rehab from previous programs. Um, and it is built for the the Block 1 SLS as we know it today. But there is, uh, you know, the SLS is really a system. It's right there in the name. And so there are future versions of it that will be bigger, heavier, taller, more powerful that include the exploration upper stage. It will happen later. Just hand wave that date a little bit. Sure. And so they are building a second mobile launcher for that version of the SLS. This one now will see probably three launches, maybe four, and then this 
beefier mobile launch platform will take over from there. The NASA may go back and retrofit ML1, or they may scrap it. I don't think it's been decided. Uh, but it's in the news because they were working away. There was new umbilical hardware that attaches the rocket to ground control systems, all this stuff. Uh, but they ran out of money. <laughs> so there was a set amount of budget, near-term budget for this, and they have spent all of it. Everyone's favorite governmental agency, the GAO, chimed in basically saying mostly a COVID-19 problem, but there's also some design and development inefficiencies that have led to this overrun. So work is still taking place, just at a, a much slower pace. They're basically testing and, and configuring these components that just showed up. Uh, but uh, there's going to be need to be some, some budget rearranging to finish this work. Hmm. But they got time because they're not going to launch one with the exploration upper stage probably until 2026. So right. Or ever. Or Who knows? Ever. <laughs> sometime after that. So it's not, this is not going to hold up anything in the near term, but I would imagine that uh, they're, they're working to get this back on track. Sure, sure. And it, it could prove to be really important because NASA in this uh, request to the aerospace industry just mentioned, <laughs> just threw it in there, that they want to fly the SLS into the 2050s. They want three decades of launches from this system. A lot of launches. Uh, uh -huh. they, they say the way to do that is to work on making the program more efficient and more sustainable. Remember, the SLS is not a reusable rocket. I don't, can't imagine that would change, but doing what they can to bring the cost down. They say they want to bring the cost down by half. We don't really know what the final <laughs> price tag for an SLS is. So that's a real Bezos number. Yeah. You know, it's like half of something is something else. How much How much was it originally? You can't ask that question. Yeah. It it's 50% off. Do you want to buy it? Yeah. That's not helpful. That will be a billion dollars. Thanks. Don't really know what that means, uh, but they want to bring the price down. And in this, NASA talks about how it sees the SLS in the landscape of other launch vehicles. They say, you know, we're looking at one crewed flight per year for the next decade or longer. So that's that's Artemis. And then also we could sell SLS launches to other customers, including like the science community, other government and non-government entities. I guess going up against things like the Starship and... Yeah, I don't know, whatever Blue Origin is cooking up for their heavy launch vehicle. Very interesting, because we really haven't talked much about SLS outside of the, well, that's the one that's rated for humans. Right. And so NASA's going to put astronauts on that one, and then they're going to rely on Starship and Falcon Heavy and other things for other launches. Kind of an interesting change here. Yeah, I get the idea that, that for deep space, having a rocket the size of the SLS allows them to do that sort of exploration, upper stage uh, kind of thing where they can say, like, this is, the, this is the thing about the Europa Clipper being moved off of SLS because it's not ready. In the future, if you wanted to do a mission to Jupiter, Saturn, outer solar system, you know, or anything where you need that kind of, a, of lift... The argument is, well, that's what the SLS is built for. The challenge is going to be, is it going to be competitive 
with the with the, right. the other options and even if it's the biggest rocket on the block if it costs if if you have to launch like do three launches using a competitive rocket but you could launch in three parts and put it together in space and have it still be cheaper then it's hard to imagine you know i was going to ask you like are we allowed to laugh on this podcast yes i i don't i don't you know, I don't want to seem cynical and I don't want to seem disrespectful, but this seems delusional to me. Like that like that this is is a document written by somebody who needs to find a way to pretend that the SLS is not only something that we should be investing all of this time and money in uh, for what NASA wants it for, but that it will actually be sustainable and affordable. And like affordable is not a word that I suspect will ever be used for a product that is entirely disposable and throws away a whole bunch of space shuttle main, main engines every time it launches. Yep. I have a hard time imagining that affordable will ever be a word used to describe the SLS. Yeah, it, it, it's wild. And the only way they have any hope of getting close to this is bringing the cost down but again like we don't we don't know what the cost is we don't know where it could go like it's 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 engineered to be i mean that's the thing is it's engineered using engineering principles from what is essentially a previous era yeah and everybody knows now you've got to make reusables because for for all but i mean again for all but the most vitally important you know you need all of the thrust but like if everything's completely disposable and costs several billion dollars, yes, you, you having that in the in the list of things that you can use to launch things is important because there's some stuff that probably needs to launch on something like SLS. But to then say, well, you know, other people could use it too. It's like who, who, who else is going to use this and spend this? This is designed for enormous things. And it has to cost a fortune because it's disposable. So I don't know. Like again, I'm not in the I'm not in the tank for SpaceX or any other uh, commercial launchers here. Uh, I I think that there are issues with those things too. But I do think that this is trying to pivot and make the SLS something beyond. Like you have to really buy into the delusion of the SLS to believe that it will then get its cost cut by 50% and be used by other clients. Like I I can't believe they wrote these words. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, see you laughed. So that yeah. okay, I feel better now. I laugh cuz it hurts. Cuz re- really like affordable SLS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Well, let's uh, let's end on a high note. How about that? Okay, good, 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 good. NASA is preparing to roll out the first SLS to the pad for the first time. I think we mentioned this at the very end of last show. The exact date is a little TBD, but it's expected to be in December. And so they're going to roll it out there on the crawler. It's going to go real slow, mm-hmm. real steady. One mile an hour. Love it. Yep. Down a gravel road. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like special gravel they bring in. It's wild. I do. I've I've stood I've stood on it. It is. It's a. Uh, it's quite a thing. Yeah. Me too. It's very cool. Uh, yeah. Then they'll go into the wet dress rehearsal. So this is loading it with propellant, seven hundred thousand gallons. They basically run through the launch countdown, but don't fire the engines. It's not a. It's mm-hmm. not a hot test. And then they drain the tanks. So it's it's a test of the rocket, but it's also a test of all the ground 
systems that connect to it. Right. Uh, so that's very exciting. It's a huge step. Looking to launch it early next year. Oh, I said I was going to end on good news. I can't. I'm sorry. Uh, there is yeah, like, but there's a twist. <laughs> wait, there's more. There is uh, reporting just today, so this is like super early, but it seems like there is an issue with one of the controllers on Engine 4, on one of those space shuttle main engines, the RS-25, that this engine controller doesn't respond to power the way it's supposed to. And so they may be able just to repair it, just replace the controller or some part of it and be good to go. That would probably take a few days. But if they have to replace the whole engine, which they can do, they things just bolt on. So it's, it, I mean, w- we talked about this when they were installing them. It's, it's actually relatively quickly, but still a couple of weeks to do that. Um, so the current date is no earlier than February 12th. That may or may not change depending on what this is. Like I said, this broke like two hours ago. So it's it's unclear what the... The impact is going to be, but they they are working an issue on one of those engines. <sighs> no earlier than February twelfth. Well, we'll see. It's a, the, that's a those uh, controllers are these huge um, boxes that are built like a tank. Um, it's interesting that it's not responding to power. I don't know. Like that's that's the thing is is uh, is it is it days or weeks? We'll we'll see. But stuff like this is going to happen. It happens in all things. This is not specific to the SLS. It's just that all the weight of everybody, all the money being spent, all the time being spent, every little thing that crops up, it just feels like that much more magnified, even though this kind of stuff happens all the time. So here we are. Uh, next year is next year, and we'll see what happens. Next year, year of next SLS. Year. <laughs> year of SLS. Could it be? Could be. Yeah, it could be. I I mean I would probably take that bet. I'd say it's a greater than greater than fifty percent chance. Um, probably a lot greater that they and they got the whole year right. Like yep. it's already no earlier than February, which means they got a lot of room for them to slide that date back and still hit twenty twenty two. So we'll see. It'll get off before the Starliner will. That's for sure. Okay. Oh. Uh, if you want to find uh, no no Starliner joke there at the end. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Starliner. Ouch. If you want to find links to stories we spoke about, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 164. There you can send us an email with feedback or follow-up. You can also join and support the show directly. Really appreciate that. If you're looking to join for a whole year, uh, you can get a discount at giverelay.com. We're doing a little holiday promo right now, so go check that out. You can find us on Twitter. Jason is there as Jay Snell, and you can follow me on Twitter as ISMH. And until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all. <laughs>